This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today we're going to wrap up this series of episodes on a biblical perspective on money. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 16, which is a chapter that's all about money from beginning to end. It's about a few other things as well, but really it touches on the subject of money in large part. Now, before we dig into Luke chapter 16, I'd like to remind you, if you have any questions, any comments, any issues you'd like me to address in future episodes, please feel free to send me an email at ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. I guess I should also tell you that in addition to this podcast feed, if you're listening on a podcast player, I am also putting all of these talks on a YouTube channel called Ask for the Ancient Paths. So you can hunt me down there if YouTube is a way that you would prefer to access this content. Also, I'd like to say again that I give credit to David Pawson, the British Bible teacher, who did a great job teaching on this topic. And you're going to hear me share some of his thoughts in addition to my own. I touched on this first part of Luke chapter 16 in episode 37. So for those of you who have listened to that episode and remember it, it'll be familiar to you. I'll go into it a little bit more deeply here and hope it's an encouragement, even if this is the second time you've heard it. David Pawson says this chapter could be titled, You Can't Take It With You, and If You Could, It Would Burn. (laughs) Or, I like this title, How to Invest Your Money Beyond the Grave. I'm not quite sure what to call this episode. I may call it What is Highly Valued Among Men, because this is a discussion by Jesus about the values of men and the values of the kingdom. And the first part of Luke chapter 16 is what is known as the parable of the dishonest steward. I'll be reading the New International Version, and they have it titled, The Parable of the Shrewd Manager. And, of course, we know that these titles that are put on chapters and sections are not in the original language. Jesus tells a story about a manager who seems to be dishonest. Actually, he is quite dishonest. And Jesus praises a man who got out of his financial difficulty by cheating his boss. And what does a man like that have to teach the followers of Jesus? (laughs) It's really remarkable. When I was younger, I didn't get it. And now I think I get it. What is the point of this parable, this story that Jesus tells? And I'll read it and I'll embellish it a little bit, I guess. (laughs) Just so perhaps it's a little more interesting to listen to instead of me just reading it. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called the manager to him and he asked him, What's this I hear about you? You have to give an account for your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Look at that. The rich man has said that he's going to fire this manager. Well, the manager said to himself, What am I going to do now? My boss has taken away my job. He's firing me. I'm not strong enough to dig ditches, and I'm really ashamed to beg. There you go. He's prideful, and he's weak. Okay, sounds like a human being. And then the manager thought to himself, this is what I'm going to do, so that when I lose my job, people are going to welcome me into their houses. 
So the manager called each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first one, How much do you owe my master? (laughs) The manager should have known this. (laughs) Shows that he's not a really good manager, is he? Hadn't been keeping up with things. And that first debtor said, I owe 800 gallons of olive oil. Well, and then the manager said to him, well, you take your bill, you sit down real quick, and you make it 400, not 800. <laughs> and then he asked the second debtor, how much do you owe? And the second debtor said, a thousand bushels of wheat, he said. And the manager said, well, you take your bill and you make it 800, not a thousand. Well, the master found out about this, and he actually commended him, the dishonest manager, because he had acted shrewdly. And then Jesus says this, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. And Jesus continues, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That is a great story. It is a little confounding at first to think that Jesus has praised someone who cheated his boss and was dishonest with handling the wealth of his master. We need to look at this word that is translated in the NIV as shrewd. So the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, and the NIV translate this word as shrewd or shrewdly. It's an adverb, actually. The King James Version and the American Standard Version translate it as wise. Young's literal translation translates it as prudent. Now, the Greek, which I'm not a Greek speaker or anything like that, but I looked it up just like you can. The Greek word is phronimos, and it means indicative of good sense or reason. So Jesus is calling this man shrewd, this dishonest manager, and that this man, within the bounds of his worldview, acted cleverly and sensibly, and he acted with discernment and common sense. Isn't that something? He says people in this world can act cleverly or sensibly. They can discern things. They can have acumen. They can be wily or sneaky. (laughs) So Jesus said we can learn something from this man, that he, within his worldview, acted quite sensibly. And Jesus commends this man for two things. First, that the man was more concerned with relationships than with things. And the dishonest manager was more concerned about the future than the present. Those are the two things that Jesus highlights in this story. In verse 9, Jesus says, Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. And here the word worldly means unrighteous or unclean, dirty wealth. To gain friends. He's saying use it to build relationships so that those relationships that we build here on earth will serve in such a way that we would be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The dishonest manager was hoping to be accepted into people's houses, and Jesus says, well, you need to be thinking about eternal dwellings. The dishonest manager could have stolen everything. He could have just taken stuff and run with the money, but he was more concerned about making friends and having a place to live than just to take the money. And he was more concerned about his future than his present. He was thinking ahead to what was coming in his life because he was going to get fired. He needed a place to live. And he was too weak to dig ditches. He didn't want to work with his hands. And he was too proud to beg. So 
he acted pretty sensibly within the bounds of his worldview. He was smart enough to do something that would make him welcomed by people in the future. And he used the opportunity that he had, and Jesus said that was right, that was wise thinking, that was sensible. And Jesus said, if the children of the darkness think that way, well then let the children of the light think that way, to plan for the future rather than the present, to make friends rather than to build wealth. Now that's really important, and that's a different kingdom, a different worldview. So much of what Jesus said when he was on earth was preparing his disciples for death and what comes after our physical deaths. He is saying that there is a life to come and we need to get ready for it. And we need to use the resources that we have here on this earth to prepare ourselves for that eternal life. That we should use the money we have now to get ready for not just this world, but for the world to come. I can't emphasize it enough because so many people here on earth, disciples of Jesus even, use their worldly wealth to set up things for their last years here on earth rather than using the worldly wealth to prepare for the life to come. Well, how does that work actually? And I think I understand it. I direct a ministry that depends on the free will donations of people who are supporting the work that we do. And let's say somebody gives some money that will pay for an evangelist in Uganda to go and preach the gospel to unbelievers. So we send that money over to support the evangelist or a church or a mission or a mission team, an outreach or a conference. And then the work of that pastor, let's say the evangelist, he brings people into the kingdom. And then, won't it be beautiful when we get into our eternal dwellings that there are people there, some Ugandans, say, who say, I am so thankful that you sent that money over to support that evangelist so that he could preach. And because you gave that money, I'm here in heaven now. Isn't that nice? It's a great way to think about it. And I believe that's what the Lord is saying. Use the money we have now to build relationships so that we'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Amen. This is why when I talked about giving... Uh, in the previous episode, the last way that I mentioned is that we should give lovingly, that we should give of ourselves. How does that apply to you? How does that apply to me? To use the wealth that I have, the worldly wealth, this unclean money, and we'll see a little bit later what Jesus says about money, his view of money, to use this unclean money, this worldly wealth, to build relationships. I mentioned earlier, for me, that means that I need to be willing to pay money for the expensive fuel for my car so that I can physically be in the same place with the people that I serve, to build relationships. The cost of diesel, that's my car is a diesel car. The cost of diesel is almost twice what it was a few years ago. I could easily say, well, I'm not going to spend that money. I'll just stay here. But I really feel like the Lord wants me to spend that money so that I can go and build relationships with people. For you, it'll translate into something else. Pray and ask the Lord, how can I use my money now to build relationships, to make friends, so that I'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings? And now we're not only going to be welcomed into eternal dwellings by the people that we serve and the people that we help get into eternal dwellings, The Lord himself and the angels are going to welcome us there. 
So let's be spending our money in such a way that we will have good relationships here on earth and relationships that are going to continue beyond our death. Amen? So that we'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings and not just have a nice, safe life here for the few more years that we have left on earth. Jesus then continues teaching about money in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. And this is where Jesus addresses the issue that many of us have about this unrighteous, untrustworthy manager. And Jesus now talks about this very issue, about trust. And he says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Well, he's very firmly now putting that dishonest manager in a position of being untrustworthy. He was wily and sensible and shrewd within the context of his life situation, but he was untrustworthy and he was fired. He was dismissed by his master. So there's the message there for us too. If we can't be trusted with very little, the Lord isn't going to trust us with a lot more. And so often people are hunting for the much, and they're not faithful with the little. And in verse 11, Jesus says this very clearly. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Amen. If I have not been trustworthy in handling money, God is not going to trust me with true riches. Isn't that interesting? Most people in this world think that worldly wealth is true riches, but it's not. From God's perspective, it's not. You remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, money is dirt. I think he's much closer to the truth than we might think. The money that you have is going to disappear at some point. As a matter of fact, at my wife's grandmother's old house, they have a big pile of rubles, Russian money, from before the revolution, over 100 years ago. And that money is worthless now. Uh, It's kind of interesting to look at, but it's worthless. It used to be worth a lot. It was worldly wealth, and now it's worthless. You can just throw it away. Burn it. Nobody cares. That's true of the euros you have or the dollars you have or the money you have in a digital account. It's going to lose all of its value at some point, every bit of it. And the Lord is saying, if you're trustworthy with that, then God will trust you with true riches, eternal riches. Can we say wealth that continues on beyond the grave? Amen. Let me read it again. This is so important, what the Lord is saying. And this applies directly to money and our attitudes towards money and wealth, mammon. Whoever can be trusted with very little also can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth... Who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? In previous talks, I discussed how we are stewards of all that we have. God has created everything. He owns everything. And we need to be trustworthy with his property. 
Amen. If you think the worldly wealth that you have is your own, then you're sadly mistaken. Because everything belongs to God. He created it all. He owns it all. And if we're not trustworthy with his property, with the worldly wealth, the things that we have here on earth, then he's not going to give us property of our own, things that we are responsible for and actually have ownership of. Isn't that interesting? This dishonest manager was not trustworthy with his master's property, and he was dismissed. He was put away. He's fired. And now here Jesus says something that is very important, and we need to understand it within the context of what he said just before. Verse 13, Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus sets these two things in opposition to one another, God and money. They are in opposition to each other when it comes to the position they have in the hearts of men. And if you notice, Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. Are we serving God or are we serving money? And whoever we serve, that's the one we'll be devoted to and will despise the other one. Are you devoted to God or devoted to money? Am I serving God or am I serving money? I can't do both. It's impossible. You're going to be devoted to one and hate the other one. That's the way it is in the kingdom. And so here again, we see that Jesus is addressing this main concern from the story of the shrewd manager. The manager's thinking was right in some ways, but he could not be trusted to handle his master's wealth. And the shrewd manager, he couldn't serve both masters, and he chose to serve money and then, of course, himself. But he did not serve his master. And notice how Jesus equates service with love. You can't serve two masters, and you can't love two masters. Our love for God is expressed in our service to him. Our love for God is expressed in our obedience to him. Our love for money will be expressed in our actions and prove that money has a higher value in our lives even than God, which is a horrible thing to put money more highly in our hearts than to put God there. So the Lord is equating service with love. The Lord says that we cannot love God and money or God and mammon this worldly wealth. And Jesus has the authority to say this. We must remember this. He is not offering a philosophical observation based on the way that he thinks that things are. He knows the human heart. He created all that is. And he has the authority to say that we cannot love God and money at the same time. He's revealing a heavenly truth. He is revealing an eternal truth. We cannot be devoted to God and devoted to money. It's impossible. One or the other will become the focus of our love and devotion. I told the story before of two fish, two young fish swimming along in the ocean. And as they swim along, an older fish comes swimming by 
And the older fish says, The water's wonderful today. And he goes on past. And one young fish looks at the other one and says, What is water? Well, that applies to money. The world assumes that money has a high value. And right now, in many parts of the world, people in the world don't even think God exists. And they think that worldly wealth is the goal of life, to gain it, to have it, to keep it, and to use it so that we'll have a happy retirement, that we'll be able to go to our happy place on the beach drinking a nice drink. People become devoted to worldly wealth. But we can't do that. We can't love both God and money. And for those of us who live in these cultures where money is worshipped and pursued, we must live in the kingdom of God. We can be in this world, but we should not be of this world. And that's very possible for God's people. That's exactly what Jesus did. He was in our world, but he wasn't of this world. He was devoted fully as he walked on earth to God the Father. So he shows us that it's possible. And he promises to give us the desire to put God first. And he promises to give us the strength, the ability, the grace to put God above worldly wealth. There are times when we have to make decisions that are in complete contradiction to the ways of this world. Times when we have to step out in obedience and faith to show our devotion for God. Am I willing to pray and surrender everything to God, or do I hold back a little bit for myself just to be safe? It's his money. It's not mine to hold back. The important thing is being able to discern his will and then act in obedience. And if your love of money or love of self is holding you back from discerning the will of God, abiding in him and being obedient, then that money needs to go. Amen. I've had this conversation with people, and I've seen in some people's eyes almost an anger flash as we talk about surrender of everything to God. But the challenge to followers of Jesus that they must surrender everything to him is a painful one. It's a painful challenge because it necessarily entails death to self, and that always hurts. I want you to know, death always hurts. Death to self always hurts. A very good friend of mine many years ago said, submission is not submission unless it hurts. So I am calling everyone who is hearing my voice right now. Choose that pathway of God. Choose that relationship with the living God. Choose, be willing to walk on a path of death to self, selflessness. And that's going to hurt sometimes. It will become familiar territory. The pains will become familiar ones. And they'll be easier to take on. But it's still a cross. And it still hurts. But boy, there's life coming. A harvest of righteousness and peace. And remember the scriptures say, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. There is great joy ahead for us. And we need to endure these small and big deaths to self because there's such good coming ahead, so many great things ahead. That is the promise, and that's why we have hope. And our hope is not based on our ability to do God's will. Our hope is based on him, his promises, his character. 
If we abide in him, he promises to give us the life that we need, everything that we need for godliness and righteousness and a life that goes on and on and on for eternity with him. Well, what happened after Jesus had said all these things? Jesus had just said, you cannot love God and mammon. You can't love God and money. And what was the response as he spoke with these religious leaders? Luke chapter 16, verse 14. Now the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. They laughed at him. They mocked him. These religious leaders were laughing at Jesus. Can you imagine? Well, yes, I can imagine. And it says here that they loved money. And what do we know about that? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And people who pursue money pierce themselves with many griefs. And here these religious leaders, they loved money. They thought that they could love money and God. They were not submitting to the authority of Jesus. They were sneering at him and laughing at him. So this love of money led directly to this sin, mocking Jesus, pride in putting themselves above Jesus and judging Jesus instead of submitting to him. And Jesus said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. Wow. Let's remember, he is a carpenter from Nazareth, a simple man, and he's been doing a lot of miracles, amazing things, and he's been challenging and even insulting these religious leaders. And he looks at these religious leaders and he says, You justify yourselves in the eyes of men. You are concerned about what people think about you, but God knows what is in your hearts. Well, there you go. And here is the key, and I think perhaps will be the title of this episode. And the point, I think, of the last five episodes Here's what Jesus says. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Jesus isn't saying that what we value highly is neutral. (laughs) He's saying if we highly value money and justify ourselves in the eyes of men, that is detestable in God's sight. He hates it. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And he doesn't want his people to have anything to do with this love of money. And we can't justify ourselves in the eyes of men. And we can't justify ourselves in the eyes of God. He knows our hearts. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And if we highly value money, wealth, worldly security, he wants us to know that that is detestable. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And these religious leaders loved money. And then that root showed itself in this evil. They laughed at Jesus and they put him down. They thought that Jesus was stupid and that he was wrong. They were so far off the mark and so far from the kingdom at that point. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Now, right after this, Jesus talks about a rich man and the way that he lived and then the outcome that he faced. 
And this is the story about a rich man and Lazarus. And of course, this story has many themes, uh, life after death, God's perspective on poverty and riches. It's interesting that Jesus tells this story immediately after discussing wealth and riches. It's a story about a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. And remember, this is the only person that Jesus named in a parable. And many people, including myself, don't think this is actually a parable, believe that because Lazarus is named, it's a story, a true story, something that really happened. Oh, and by the way, the name Lazarus means God is my help. Well, you can read in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19 through to the end of the chapter, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And there are a few things to point out here. Lazarus was a beggar. There was a very rich man who had all that he could ever want on this earth. And the Lord says that this rich man was dressed well and he lived in luxury. And at his gate, at the door, just coming into his courtyard, I guess, there was a beggar named God is my help. He was covered with sores. His skin was bad. And he just wanted to eat what fell from that man's table. And even dogs came and licked at his sores. Wow. Back in those days, people cleaned their hands with bread, like we would use a napkin. And then they would throw that bread under the table, and the dogs would go eat it. And Lazarus just wanted to eat those dirty, greasy bits of bread that were on the ground. And in the story, both of them die. And the rich man is in Hades, the place of the dead, and he's in a place of suffering. Now, we should understand that the rich man had committed no crime, He had not done anything wrong in the eyes of the law. He didn't have any vices, as far as people could say. The world would say he wasn't a bad man. Well, what was wrong then? Why did he end up in a place of torment? Well, there are three things. He spent his money on himself. Remember, he lived in luxury. He had far more than he ever needed. So he spent his money on himself. That's the first thing, not on other people. Number two, he was indifferent to the poverty and the needs of others. Number three, he was independent of God. Let's say in modern terms, perhaps he had a Bible, but he never read it. He was a self-made man. He was dressed nicely and had all kinds of good food and lived in luxury. But he spent his money on himself. He was indifferent to Lazarus and others. And he was independent. He thought that he had all that he needed for life. He was not a, quote, great sinner, unquote. But these things were enough to fix his future, to set his eternal life in place. I assume that he had never thought about life beyond the grave. He had only given his thoughts about how to be comfortable here. And that is one very important lesson that we can draw from the story about Lazarus and the rich man. When we look at that story within the context of all that's gone before in Luke chapter 16, let's remember that Pharisees are listening to this and they are living like this rich man. They live in luxury. They've got all that they need and far more. They spent their money on themselves. They loved money. They were independent of God, actually, even though they said that they were followers of God. They loved money and therefore they could not possibly love God. And so we come to the end of this series on God's perspective on money. 
And I want to finish up with God's view of money. What people value is detestable to God. Money is like dirt. It can be useful, but it's filthy. And it has to be used for the right purposes. It must be used to bear eternal fruit. Amen. So friends, let us choose to live by God's grace in the kingdom. And let us choose his ways. And let us submit to the authority of Jesus. Let us never, ever mock him or sneer at him or laugh at him or judge his words as somehow not being applicable to us today. What human beings value when we value money and wealth and status, that is detestable to God. And we cannot serve God and money. It's impossible. We've got to break out of the kingdom of this world and run into the kingdom of God. Amen? By his grace, he calls us. He's going to do that work. But we've got to go to him. We cannot keep one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of this world. It's not possible. We're going to get torn apart. Well, friends, surely I'll return to this topic again in the future. But for now, let us turn away from what this world desires and highly values. And let's embrace the truth that what is highly valued among people is detestable to God. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all.